0: Father and our God, we come again this morning before your very word. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would do a life transforming work in us. Make us like Jesus. We pray. In Christ's name, amen. I title this message today Life Giving Words. Life Giving Words. David Galetta talked to us last week about the people, the Samaritans, coming to faith in the Lord Jesus, and he talked to us about the seriousness of believing in Christ, and what the gospel is really all about. Where our context for today as we go a little further is, Jesus has been with the Samaritans for several days, ministering and teaching among them. And now Jesus again enters into Galilee. Now there are are four things that we're going to look through today. The first is Jesus and his relationship to Galilee. The second, an official from Capernaum. The third, life-giving words. And the fourth, the life-giving word. Beginning here in verses 43 46, we see that there is a relationship between the Lord Jesus and the land of Galilee. As you read throughout the Gospels, you find out more information, more about how Christ began his ministry. He began it in Galilee. Well, I wanted to give you some information about Galilee in particular. Galilee is essentially a mountainous and hilly country. It's the southern end of the mountains of Lebanon, and you'll find in your bulletins this morning a map of Palestine in the days of Jesus, because I'm going to talk as we go through here, we're going to see a lot of movement taking place, and I wanted you to be able to see it on the map. Well, during the time of Christ, this was a dense and prosperous area. It was an area originally allotted among the 12 tribes of Israel, but it became populated by Gentiles all around its borders, becoming an ethnically diverse area. Galilee was a Jewish settlement then with Gentiles all around. Now, as I said, there's a relationship between Jesus and the land of Galilee. Well, Nazareth is in Galilee. Nazareth is the place that Christ called home. It's the place where he was raised. And as you're reading through John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54, particularly in verse 44, John, I, 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 as, I was, as I was studying for this, I saw that different commentators uh, speculated on why John says uh, what he says about his homeland without referencing Nazareth. And I thought, well, I think John is referencing Nazareth without, without even using the name of the town. For he says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Well, Nazareth is his own hometown. I think the Gospel of Luke sheds some light on why John brings this up also. Luke 4, verses 22 to 24 reads, And all spoke well of him, and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And Jesus said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now that's just a little background information, and if you read on in that passage, you'll see where they took him out to the edge of the city and they wanted to kill him, but he pass through. Well, Jesus comes to Galilee. He's been down in Judea and the southern country. He comes up through Samaria, as we learned the past two Sundays, and then he comes again into Galilee, where his hometown is. These people didn't honor Christ's word. I want you to remember that. Because John John is wanting us to see something here, especially when he says he's got no honor in his own hometown, and then he says he comes to Galilee and they welcome him. They receive him. As we go along here, you're going to see what it is that John's actually pointing out. They did not, the Galileans, that is, did not honor Christ's word, but they wanted to see a miracle. They wanted signs. They wanted signs. Well, you remember what Jesus' first miracle was. He turned water into wine at Cana, at the wedding. Matthew's gospel gives us a little more information about Jesus and his ministry in Galilee. And if you'll bear with me, I'm going to read this for you as well. I want you to be able to see, one, how masterfully uh, interwoven the Scriptures really are. In Matthew 4, verses 12 to 17, you read the following. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, when Jesus heard John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea. Now, this is still background about Galilee. In the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, which were tribes of Israel. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's significant here is I want you to see that Jesus' worldwide ministry begins at Galilee. Jesus' worldwide ministry begins in Galilee. John and the other gospel writers, they show how active Jesus was in Galilee and in the surrounding regions, Judea, Samaria, the numerous towns in Galilee, so much so that Matthew says Christ's fame spread throughout all Syria. Syria was a Gentile region north of Galilee. Well, John gives us more details about the Galileans. He says they welcomed Jesus. They received Jesus. They witnessed everything that Jesus did at the Passover feast in Jerusalem. They were present there. A lot of Galileans were at the Passover feast, and they see Jesus doing different things. Well, what exactly did Jesus do at the feast? In John chapter 2, Kurt preached to us and he told us that Christ purged the temple of those who were buying and selling animals. He talked with the Jews of destroying the temple of which he meant his body. And he said he would rebuild it in three days. And John in chapter 2 also says that Jesus did signs. He did signs. Now, the Galileans saw those signs. John doesn't tell us explicitly what those signs are, but I think that Matthew gives us an idea of those signs. And hear this in Matthew 4, verses 23 to 25. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Now I want you to hear this verse in particular. Verse 25. And great crowds followed Jesus from Galilee, and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. The Galileans saw Jesus perform miraculous signs. They were drawn to what he could do, not necessarily what he had to say, but what he could do, what they could get out of him. They welcomed him not as the Messiah, but as a miracle worker, someone who was famous for his supernatural miracles and his wonders. Well, down in verses 46 to 49, the second thing I want us to see today is there's an official from Capernaum. First, we saw Jesus in his relationship to Galilee, and now we have an official from Capernaum, which is in Galilee. Well, this man is a Jewish royal officer, an official from the court of Herod. He hears about Jesus. Remember verse 45, the Galileans welcomed Jesus. They saw all that he did in Jerusalem. They had gone up to the feast. Well, this official, he he heard about what Jesus had done. He heard about what Jesus could do. And on your maps there, if you look, you'll see there should be some squiggles. They represent hills. Jesus is up in Cana, and this man lives down in Capernaum. And it's about, if memory serves me correctly, like 700, uh, what is it, feet above sea level. So this man lives down by the Sea of Galilee, which is where Capernaum is, and he walks up the mountainous terrain to Cana, to get to Jesus. He makes an arduous journey. In a sense, it would be like, and I don't know how many of you, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a North Carolinian. I'm been on the, uh, I've lived on the western part of North Carolina, which is mountainous. It would be like walking from Charlotte, North Carolina, all the way up to Grandfather Mountain, a long distance, arduous, laborious, takes time to get there. This man comes from Capernaum with a request. Come down, he says. My son is about to die. He's got a need. He's got a most urgent need. So urgent is this need that he's willing to walk up mountains to get to this miracle worker, Surely he can help my son. Well, notice Christ's first response seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? Unless you see miraculous signs and wonders, you will not believe. Well, Jesus, why would you say this to this man? He's he's got a legitimate need. Think about it. Think about it. Have you ever ran to see a miracle? This morning I was thinking about different times, you know, the news, you see everything on the news. And I can remember several years ago down in Florida, there was a reflection from the sun in a window, and it was all over the news, all over the country, that it was the Virgin Mary in the window. People flocked to see an image. Well, here, people flocked to Jesus to see these images. Miracles. In the Greek, and you don't know this unless your Bible makes a notation of it, when he says you, he has a wider audience in view. The you there in the Greek is the plural. It means you all, you people, you Galileans, you all desire to see miracles and signs and wonders, and you won't believe unless you see them. Well, there's a lesson here. There's a lesson here for the Galileans, and there's a lesson here for us. There's a lesson here for every single human being who lives, has lived, and ever will live. But we'll get to that in just a moment. We've got to get back to the official's request. Well, the official, he, he responds to Christ's words with more pleading, more begging. He, he, he remains undeterred. Sir, come down. My son is about to die. I told you he's traveled from Capernaum by the sea. He's climbed up in high elevation to get to Jesus, to ask for a miracle for the life of his son. He knows, or at least he hopes, Jesus is the answer. In what the official says to Jesus here, in his second response to him, he says, Sir, come down before my child dies. Earlier he said his son, but here in the Greek text and in the English, it represented by the word child, he uses a different word. He uses a word representing affection. Lord, come down, my little one, my little one is about to die. Jesus, you are my only hope. Without you, he he has no hope. Please, please, please come down and help him. That's the cry of his heart in this particular situation. And how does Jesus respond this time? In verse 50, Jesus gives life-giving words. Listen to the Lord. In, In the ESV, it says, Go, your son will live. But the Greek rendering says, go, your son lives. Present tense. He's living, going to live, not going to die. Go, be about your journey. It's all right. The man believes. (laughs) Jesus does not physically go back with the man. He just speaks some words to him. Now, when you're doing Bible study, you must ask questions of the text. And I I love teaching the Scriptures because I get excited when I'm reading and I find these things out. There's something absolutely significant here when the Lord says, go, and he doesn't go with him. Go, your son's alive. The man believes He leaves in faith. He just believes what Jesus says. He leaves a believer in the Lord Jesus' word. He didn't see that his son was living, but he trusted what Jesus said to him. This moves to the fourth point that I want you to see. The third was life-giving words. The fourth is the life-giving word. And we see this in verses 51 to 54. As the man is journeying home, his slaves appear and they've got good news for him. Your son, he's better. He's all right now. The man says, "Well, well, well, what time did the healing occur? Well, it was the seventh hour on yesterday. And what is the result of this? Faith. Faith in Christ and the salvation of an entire household. I would imagine it's not just The the official, his wife, their children, but those slaves as well. They trust in Jesus. John reiterates that the official truly believed and his household believed, which you got to think about, well, how how did they believe? What, What occurred? This man came home and told them what had happened. You know that I left the house. I traveled up to Cana. I went up the mountainous terrain, and the Lord said, Your son's living. Just go. It's going to be all right. I got back here on the way. You all came, and you talked to me. He gets back to the house, and he tells them, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. The officials shared Jesus. He evangelized to his household, and the result is Jesus spoke, this man believed, and his house believed the word of the Lord. This is the point, you all. The word of God makes the difference. Why do we come to church Sunday after Sunday? Why do we engage in our quiet times in the mornings? Why do we pray the Scriptures to God? Why do we go out and share our faith with people? Why are some of us going to London this summer to share Christ with people? Because the word of the Lord makes the difference. And I want to tease this out just a little more and then we'll be through. These people learned to trust Christ not for his miracles mainly, but for his word. The word of God gives life. And this is where I love to see how interwoven woven the Scripture is. It's perfectly written, you all. Think about this. Jesus tells him to go. He doesn't go with him. What earlier in John lets us know why this is so? Well, it's in John chapter 1. It's in the prologue. Keep in mind, I just said the Word of God gives life. Think back to John chapter 1, verse, verses 1 and the following. In the beginning was the what? The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Hear this, all things were made through him. That means everything that has been created in the universe, including the universe itself, was created through the Word, the Word who is God. Without him was not anything created that was created. In Jesus, I'll just say it this way, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In Jesus was what? Life. What did he say to this man? Go, your son has what? Life. He is the creator who is the life giver. We share him with people because he is the only life giver. John goes on and he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. This royal official and his household received Jesus, believed in his word, and they were given the right to become children of God. John says the second sign. This was the second sign that Jesus did well. We know that Jesus did lots of signs, but John is pointing out specific signs in particular because he wants us to know something about Jesus. Jesus is the Word who is God, who became flesh, who became a human being. He is the God-man. I heard a man say a long time ago, I'll never forget it, he said, he's 100% God and 100% man, and 100% plus 100% is what? 100%. (laughs) He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John, in talking about these signs, points to what's yet to come from Jesus in the gospel. Jesus is the Word of God who became flesh so that individuals and households could come to faith in Christ, that your household might have everlasting life. The Bible and all of history demonstrates that the word of God has spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, even here this morning to Silver Spring, Maryland, that sinners like you and me might receive life in the Lord Jesus Christ. God calls you this morning to believe in him through Jesus Christ, his son. Will you trust him today? Will you trust him today? I'm going to say one more thing. I've got to to stop. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus is being tempted, and he says to the devil, the first temptation. You know, the devil says, if you are the son of of God, command these stones to become bread. I know you're hungry. And the Lord says, man shall not live. I guess, let me say it this way. The God-man says, man shall not live by by, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is the very word in the beginning who speaks, let there be light. The same one who become flesh and said to this official, go, your son lives. The, the Lord, our creator, says that we subsist, we exist because of his very word. Will we trust him today? God's word is enough. Let us pray together. Our father and our God, We thank you for your word. We thank you for condescending to sinners and speaking to us. Your word says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they going to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they going to hear without someone preaching? Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Father, we beg you to make us different. Set us apart according to your word. Sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. You are the one who tells us what reality is all about and to be about. Transform us, we pray. Mold us evermore into the image of Christ, O Lord. Keep us from darkness. Allow us, O God, to be light, that those in darkness might see and know that Christ is real. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.